Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, where two author mums discuss their favourite middle grade books, provide recommendations and share insider industry tips for authors trying their hand at middle grade. Julie Ann Grasso is the author of the Frankie DuPont mystery series, cupcake enthusiast and part-time library book wrangler. Pamela Eucherman is a writer, dancer and homeschooling mum who sometimes finds time for sleep. Both Julie and Pamela devour middle grade books, not only for research, but to share with their combined brood of four munchkins. Hi, Pamela, and welcome back to Middle Grade Mavens for our 69th episode. Yes, and... This is our penultimate episode for this year and next next episode we'll be doing our end of year wrap up, which is all a bit exciting. Can you believe? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know where the year's got. It's been the longest and, and the quickest year ever, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. And summer is well and truly here in Melbourne and we are now touch wood um, COVID free and life is beginning to look a little bit more normal, which is really nice. Very exciting. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And what have you been up to, Julie? <sighs> what I've been up to? You know, I don't even know what I've been up to. <laughs> um, I've been doing a bit of a deep dive edit on one of my manuscripts, um, mm. which oh, has been actually really um, joyful, which sounds ridiculous, really. But I love a good structural edit. So mm. I love the result. Yeah, maybe not the, maybe not the process. <laughs> the, I I hate the first draft so bad. I don't. So. I, I like the first draft, and then I don't want to look at it again. But yeah. after after a good, I like the I like the anticipation that comes with an edit because you know that it's yep. going to be better. <laughs> yep. Um, I and like I actually process. really love. I love it when you know someone suggests. Well, I mean, this is really nice and fun, but it's not necessary. And then sort of your your soul kind of going, yes, it is internally. Mm. And then like a week later, your soul going, that's really not that necessary. And then you just mm. cut it out. So yeah. it's like surgery <laughs> for the manuscript. <laughs> I love Kill it. your darlings, right? Kill your yeah. darlings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do. I know. I'm the same. You hang, and then you know, you you put it away, and you come back, and you go, "Really? Why was I? Why did I have to say it like that? I just, you know, there's no reason why it has to be said like that at all." Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think I, that's kind of consumed me at the moment. So yeah. yeah. And great. what's been happening with you? Well, you're going to laugh because I've been painting. What? <laughs> What? <laughs> I was in, so inspired by you, Julie. <laughs> oh, this is a miracle. I've I actually someone. saw this. <laughs> and I actually saw this um this meme on Facebook a while ago about why a man doesn't like women go, women going to um the hardware store because it's all so manly, manly talk and you know, I don't know. Anyway. Yep. So um we did a big um Renault a couple of years ago we pulled it we had asbestos in our we've got an external laundry and toilet and we pulled out all the asbestos and put in new plasterboard and ceiling and door frames and then my husband was like yeah I'm gonna paint it and then he painted the walls and the ceiling and stopped right and left the paint tape up and left all the frames and the skirting boards all raw timber Oh. (laughs) oh no he filled them he filled them and but he didn't sand them 
So I've been looking at raw timber for two years in my laundry and I just, we, you know, we're about to get the, the bathroom done and I just went, this is really embarrassing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to yes. do it and the boys help can help me and they've been helping me. They they sanded and it's, you know, it's Yay. um, it's good for them to see, you know, a woman doing it, I think. Yes, totally capable. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So that's what I've been doing. Um, and we've actually been out a few times, Yay. which has been amazing. I'm, I'm not used to going out a couple of times a day. It's actually quite no. exhausting. Yes. <laughs> Bunnings yes. trip here and a library trip there. and um, That's what I did. I worked at the library. Oh, yes, you did. Yes. <laughs> yes. I actually did some work. <laughs> and I have been so tired. And I like, know, so tired. let's put it in context. I worked four hours. <laughs> I'm tired for the whole week. Oh, well, I tell you what, I went out three times the other day, and I was like, I'm exhausted. Oh. <laughs> Not used to this, but um, oh, as no. as well as that, I've been doing um lots of bits of writing. Um, I have a novel, a fantasy novel that I should be working on, but instead, I've been editing old picture books and writing a Yay. new picture book and starting a new junior fiction. And somebody mentioned um on Facebook today, somebody posted something, and I can't remember who it was now. Um, about uh, writers, especially women writers, who, you know, you're trying to write and you're getting interrupted like every few minutes and you just, it's yes. just so hard to get into flow, to concentrate. Every time you're interrupted, you know, there's 10 minutes worth of, you know, yeah. thinking time that you've lost or progress that you've lost because you have to go back to what was I thinking, where was I going, how was I writing that and then this happens over and over. And so I find novel writing while the kids are out, are around really difficult just because oh, I yeah. don't have I don't have uninterrupted free time unless I like make a plan and you know say to my husband, say to all of them, right, you know, I'm gonna go into the back office for two hours. Yes. Do not disturb under yep. any circumstances, you know, and then maybe I'll get disturbed once or twice instead of every five yep. minutes. Um, because you know, even though I'm out here and my husband's in the house or in the kitchen. And even if they're in the kitchen and they need help in the kitchen, yeah. they'll still come find me. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yes. Well, I, I, hence yeah. my annual writing retreat. Yes. Which, January, yes. which I'll call Janorimo. <laughs> Janorimo. I'm there. Maybe I'm there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, that I need that. But, but I find with picture books, I can think about them while I'm, like, doing the dishes or while I'm – in the shower and then I can quickly go right down and then you know so yeah so that's what I've been doing so my plan over the summer Jano Rimo is to mm. work on that novel and we'll take a break from homeschooling we'll take a break from podcasting and yeah yep. hopefully they'll have a novel done so anyway we're talking about podcasting Speaking of podcasting <laughs> I guess we should review some books yes what is the title of today's book yeah, so today I'm reviewing The Witch's Boy by Kelly Barnhill, which was published by Piccadilly Books in the UK on September the 1st, 2020 and um, released in Australia as well. But it was originally published, I just found out today, in the US in 2014. Um, oh, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I didn't actually know it had been out, but um, it, Kelly Barnhill wrote The Girl Who Drank the Moon, which was my yes. book of the year mm. last year, one of my favourite yep. books. So, yeah. Mm, see if it's a good follow-up mm. would you share the jacket blurb with us yes quiet stuttering ned lives with his mother sister witch the village keeper of an ancient store of magic 
It is unruly magic that only she can tame until the day the bandit king comes to steal the magic and it bolts out of its pot and into the wide world beyond. Thrown into a wild adventure, Ned must venture into the enchanted forest that borders his village where he meets Aina, the bandit king's daughter. Can she help him find his voice and a way to speak to the magic? A word, after all, is a kind of magic. Words call the world into being. That is power, indeed. And Ned is not yet a powerful boy. Oh, she's magical, isn't she, Kelly Barnhill? Oh, oh yes. Yeah. And what genre would you class this as? Uh, definitely fantasy. Complete yep. fantasy. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And what is the worst estimated word count? Uh, it's quite long, actually. It, it's about 90,000 words, I think. Um, oh, dear. Yeah. I, no, it's good. But, you know, it's one of those books I like to dive into, but I kind of underestimated how long it was going to take me to read this one. Yeah, <laughs> so okay. It's a double. I left it, yeah, I left it a little bit late and I was like, I've got to get this read. I'm trying to get through it quickly, yeah. but, you know, I want to enjoy it at the same time. But, yeah, yeah, it's quite long. Oh, tell us about it. I'm, I'm dying to know. Yeah, um, well, you know, it's it's what you call a second world fantasy. Is that the, is that the, no, yes. yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a complete fantasy world, which always makes it hard to explain, but I will try. Yeah. So when Ned is seven years old, he and his twin brother, Tam, fall from their canoe. Tam is beyond help, but their father manages to save Ned. However, Ned is very sick and their mother, the sister witch, does not want to lose both of her sons. As the guardian of the magic passed down through the generations, she has a power no one else does, but the magic is finicky and naughty. It, lead, it needs a lot of controlling. The sister witch waits until sunset when Tam's soul is released. Then she, snap, she catches it and stitches it to Ned. Ned lives, but the words are stuck. He can no longer read and speaks with a stutter. The villagers call him the wrong boy. They think the wrong boy was saved. Oh. When Ned's mother... I know. Oh, just gasped out loud. Yeah, I know. Going. <laughs> I know, and I've got two boys, so it's always like, oh. When Ned's mother saves the queen's life and is invited to the queen's palace, she leaves the magic behind. She doesn't realise that the bandit king, who has a small piece of the magic, is power hungry and wants the rest of the magic for the king, who lives across the magical wild forest that separates the two lands, the king's massive domain and the queen's small country. Ned takes the magic into himself and escapes the bandit only to meet the bandit's daughter who has come to realise that her father is being controlled by the deceitful magic. Ned and Aina need to find a way to keep the magic out of the wrong hands and prevent the annihilation of the Queen's realm. Oh, it just sounds so good. Yes. <laughs> Overall enjoyment. Yes. So I, you know, as I said, Kelly's 2018 book, The Girl Who Drank the Moon, was my book of the year. So I was very, very keen to read this one. And I certainly wasn't disappointed. She has a beautiful literary style of writing and weaves intricate magical worlds that are just unlike any other. Her characters are they're so strong and individual and I love that they aren't stereotypical fantasy books her world building is really unique but it's really solid um Ned you know Ned's not he's not your typical strong boy or adventurous boy but he's he's not you know fully weak either and Aina you know there's a lot of strong girls in books lately yep um but she was strong in a different way which I really liked she was a very different character 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, beautiful. Just loved it. And and just for um, interest's sake, how does she write the stutter? Uh, well, she does write that she does the stutter in it, um, but he doesn't say a lot because he because he has a stutter because yeah, the words get okay. stuck. So he there's a lot of his thoughts and his thinking, um, but there's not a huge amount of dialogue. Right. Um, and Gosh. yeah, there's 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 a couple of different points of view um, that are woven together that you know come together towards the end. So you're sort of um, alternating between Ned's point of view and Aina's point of view. Um, and then there's another point of view, which sort of is in there a little as well, a little bit, which is these magic stones, which I haven't spoken about yet, but yeah, it's only going to make sense if you actually read the book. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So she made it obvious it's a stutter and, and, you know, it's a hindrance to him, um, but you know, and he can't read as well. He, he has trouble reading. And so um, yeah, just a beautiful character actually. Yeah. Yeah. It just sounds amazing. And who will love this book? What age would you recommend it for? Yeah, that's an interesting question um, because it's middle grade and I've seen it listed for 9 to 12, which I think is fine in terms of um, comprehension and reading age. But there are some fairly gruesome scenes that might affect more sensitive readers. Um, Yeah, okay. So I'd say it's right up there at the top of middle grade. Um, But, Mm. you know, if your kid's reading well ahead and doesn't care about a bit of... Gruesome injuries then. (laughs) Not for Giselle. No, I don't think so. So sensitive. Yeah. Yeah, I think she would be a little bit scarred by it. Just just injuries and, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, A little bit gruesome, but but really lovely. And, and, you know, yeah, there was, it's two boys, one dies, but not really. The nurse in me wants to read it just to see how she's portrayed the injuries. I always find that really interesting. <laughs> Whenever oh, I watch you know. watch television yeah. with Danny and something happens, you know, that's medical, I'm like, ah, oh, couldn't happen. Would have died of it. <laughs> and he's always like, you just ruin it for me. <laughs> so I'm not allowed to not allowed to comment on anything medical in the, anymore in the house. So Oh dear. Well, yeah, um, I don't know what you'd say about that. I mean, you know, it's a different world. It's a magical world. But, um, yep. yeah, I, I was a bit teary at the end there because, yes, yeah. you know, there's a mother and her two boys. And, oh, yeah, yeah that would but, just um, crush me. Yeah, but, she, you know, it's such a great book. And it's it's one of those books that, um, you know, I'm not really into adult fantasy. And I think I've spoken about this before. I don't read much adult fantasy in adult books I tend to read historical fiction but fantasy in is my favorite in middle grade um, especially when they're done like this when they're just done so beautifully and so woven so well and and written so well and you know yeah 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 loved it okay so (laughs) your turn what's the title of your book today Julie I'm reading Zoe Max and the Bicycle Bus by Stephen Herrick Illustrated by Joe Hunt, published by University of Queensland Press in October 2020. Oh, yes, now I think this book passed through my hands and then came your way because <laughs> I just had too much to do. Is that right? Yeah, I think it did. Yeah. yeah. And I do, I did want to read it. But anyway, would you share the back jacket blue with us, please? Yes. The sun is shining and today feels like an adventure. Only one I can go on whenever I want because I have a bicycle and friends 
and a city just waiting to be explored. With their new teacher's help, the kids in class 5D ride to school together in a bicycle bus. Olivia can fix a puncture in two minutes and Max can ride on one wheel. Lily wishes she wasn't quite so wobbly and Geordie's been waiting forever to ride on the road. Dylan has a speedy gateway from Alley Cat, getaway from Alley Cats. De Beer's glad to be part of a group and Zoe's bike even has a name, Esmeralda. Everyone loves their new way of getting to school, but there's a narrow stretch on Fisher's Road with no white line to separate the cyclists from the local traffic. So Zoe and Max decide they need to make it right, even if that means breaking a few rules. Ooh. Um, this sounds like something that Manga Boy would like. He's really he's really into cycling at the moment. He got a new bike. Oh, yes. And he is really into anything, reading anything where kids are doing something independently. Oh, good. You know, yeah, yes. he likes kids going on adventures by themselves. Like he really wants to, you know, wants well, to have we responsibility. Have a copy of this on as a giveaway on our Instagram. So oh. um, I can send you the other copy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because I have two. <laughs> How nice. funny. Well, we'll have to talk about that later. Yes. Um, <laughs> so tell us, this is an interesting one actually, what genre would you class it as? It is a middle grade free verse novel. Right. I have not read a free nurse novel before. Actually, no, I have. I have. Yes. Um, Wendy Orr. Yes. A free verse novel. And, of course, Pip Harry's The Little Wave. Ah, yes. I haven't read that one yet. Yep. Um, Which won Wendy an Orr's, award not long ago. Um, Dragonfly Song. was. Oh, um, yes. Okay. Very good. Uh, and so what was the word count? I am very estimating it. It's about 30,000. <laughs> but I could be vastly wrong. I should have asked Stephen when I interviewed him, but I didn't. <laughs> so I did cheat. <laughs> Cheat. <laughs> um, so I'm guessing that they only take up half the page. Each line only takes up about half the page. Is that right? Are they yeah, short so every, yeah, every page has a character's sort of journey. That's how I'll right. explain it. Yeah. Right. Yep. So could you tell us more about it? Sure. We follow Olivia, De Beer, Geordie, Zoe, Dylan, Lily, Max, Mr. Bertoldi and Miss Dylan, each with their own take on their day, starting school with all the angst and antics. Being free verse, there doesn't need to be a lot of scene setting as we're getting into the private thoughts of each of the characters. Very quickly, we find out what sets them apart, what motivates them, their joys and their sadness. Each child has their own unique story to impart. Geordie never knew his dad and Lily lost hers. Max is very sporty and his dad is sport obsessed. De Beers folks want to save the planet and Max and Zoe just want to be able to ride their bikes to school. When Miss, Mrs. Dillon proposes a bicycle bus that is a train of kids riding to school, it quickly catches on. Trouble is, the principal says there's no insurance for such a thing and the road is narrow. Zoe and Max band together and with the help of Mr. Bertoldi, 
change the path literally so that kids can ride to school. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, it was gorgeous. Yeah. And so can you tell us your overall enjoyment? Yes, this was a lovely hark back to my childhood where bicycles were a part of my life from a very early age. Growing up in Brisbane, which is actually where Stephen Herrick is, I rode to school from about grade one and I rode all the way up to year 10, I think, before I got too lazy, that is. (laughs) Every character had a story of their own, which gradually unfurled, making us invest in each one equally. The free verse format made this so very easy to read and I can totally see it appealing to grades three to four where teachers can read this over a term, perhaps even creating their own bicycle bus. The author Stephen Herrick is is apparently a passionate bike enthusiast and it's so evident in his writing. I think the most poignant line, as Giselle quoted to me as she remembered it so exactly, is when Mr. Bertoldi says, what I see isn't two kids breaking the law, I see the future fixing itself. I think we can safely say books like this will certainly be part of ensuring that our kids do, in fact, fix the future. I highly recommend this book. Oh, wow. Sounds great. Um, So who will love this book? What age do you recommend it for? Great for 8 to 12s. And I think particularly as a read aloud in in school, I suspect. Mm. Especially with that um, diverse format. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit different. It opens up a lot of things. I, I might have to do this with the boys, actually. Yes, to put it aside for next way. year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, I can, I can always get it um, and, and request it from the library because I can yes. go to the library now. It's so <gasps> awesome. Yes. <laughs> I, um, as I, got... I said before, we have two giveaways going on. Mm. So this book, Zoe, Max and the Bicycle Bus. Um, Uh, And the second is Asta's Good Right Things by Kate Gordon, published by Yellow Brick Books. And we've reviewed Kate's recent release in the heart song of Wonder Quinn. So we are huge fans of Kate's work and we were delighted to be offered this next book as a giveaway. So, um, yeah, I thought we might even read The Jacket Burlap, actually. Yeah. Yeah, go for it. I can't let go of them, the good, right things, because if I do, I'll turn into a cloud and I'll float away and a storm will come and blow me to nothing. Asta attends a school for gifted kids, but she doesn't think she's special at all. If she was, her mother wouldn't have left. Each day, Asta must do a good, right thing, a challenge she sets herself to make someone else's life better. Nobody can know about her things because then they won't count. If she doesn't do them, she's sure everything will go wrong. Then she meets Xavier. He has his own kind of special missions to make life better. When they do these missions together, Asta feels free. But if she stops doing her good, right things, everything will fall apart. Doesn't that just sound beautiful? Mm, Sounds great. So to win either of these books, head over to our Instagram page. Just scroll down to look for the image of the book. Um, Drop us a comment or a like and you will have effectively entered. So there you go. That is it for our reviews and news. But don't run away. 
as I have an interview with none other than Stephen Herrick. He dropped by or cycled by, I should say, for a chat uh-huh. and some sage authorly advice. So see you soon. Stephen Herrick is an Australian author who writes fiction, poetry and verse novels for children, young adults and adults. He also performs his poetry in schools and at festivals all over the country and overseas. His latest verse novel for middle grade is Zoe, Max and the Bicycle Bus, which was published by University of Queensland Press in October 2020. So hi, Stephen, and welcome to Middle Grade Mavens. Thanks for having me. Now, you've probably done a million of these interviews over the years where the interviewer asks, where did you get your start in writing? And as much as the Mavens lap that stuff up, devouring every minute detail, let's mix it up for your sake. Let's go back to your newbie writer self standing on the precipice of a potential writing career. What advice would you give to your glowing green self? <laughs> uh, I guess I, I think I'd say don't talk about being a writer just do it when I was 18 I was so obsessed with telling everyone that I was a writer rather than actually just going into my study and writing Uh, you know at 18 you think you've got lots of time and that's true but I look back now and I think instead of writing 25 books I could have written 50 books yes Uh, Yes. the best thing to do is do it yep we can't all be Agatha Christie, really, can we? <laughs> but <laughs> As much as we'd like to. Oh, yeah. I mean, she was prolific. But, um, okay, I can't resist. I actually have to know, where did you really get your start in writing? Uh, I was 18 and I didn't have a job and I wrote a poem just for something to do one day. I don't know why I did. I just, I guess I liked reading poetry. So I thought I'd have a go at writing one. And I typed it up and sent it to a magazine. And they wrote back saying they were going to publish it. And they were going to pay me $5, (laughs) if I recall. $5. (laughs) So this really excited me, not because of the money, but because of the link between actually writing getting published and then getting paid it seemed to me that that's what I wanted to do yeah so um I've always thought that I should be paid for my work uh as all of us should and um and that's how I got started and then I started I had lots of friends in music bands in rock bands and one of them suggested I get up in between his sets and read poems to the pub audience so I did. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, and uh, I very quickly learned what worked and what didn't with a live audience. And I was then asked by a record company if they could put out a record of mine. This was when there were indeed vinyl records. This is how yes, old I am. Yes. And, um, and so I got approached by a record company and I did a record. So I, before I had a book, I had a record. And please tell me you've still got copies of the vinyl. Surely. I do. 
Of course. I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm sure I, it's not I, being used. I can't used. play them. I can't play them because I don't have a record player. Yeah. But I can look at them occasionally. Yes, yes. We we got rid of ours years ago too, so yes, never mind. Yes. Someone will digitise it one day. <laughs> One day, one day. Well, I mean, well, I hope not actually. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Well, I mean, that's a fairly unique start to be have a record contract really before a writing contract. I mean, that's that's a great starting story, isn't it? Really. And then f- fast forward many years, I guess, and we have Zoe Max and the Bicycle Bus, <laughs> which is a verse novel, which I found a really unique and refreshing format, to be honest. Could you talk us through the process of how you construct a verse novel? Yeah, well, look, a verse novel very simply is just a number of poems or verses that tell a story. Uh, So it's a narrative poetry. And the beauty of the verse novel, I think I've written 15 so far, or this is my 15th, is that it allows me to write with multiple first person narrators. Yes. And so I find that really attractive because there's always another side to the story. So I can write a scene, not only from the perspective of a 10-year-old boy, for example, but also that same scene from another person, a girl, a 10-year-old girl's perspective. And we all look at the world differently. So that's a wonderful storytelling device, I think. And that's why I've always been attracted to verse novels. And I think the verse novel, like, I mean, the first person format is so immediate, isn't it? Like you're really right in their head. So you don't have to, you know, tell us that the mist was misting and the the lawns were being mowed in the background, do you? You you just jump into their head. Yeah, a, a reviewer once said that verse novels are able to tread lightly over certain details and just get to the kernel of the issue and I think that's true probably one of my most popular verse novels uh, is called The Simple Gift for Young Adults and uh, the main character is not described physically at all in the book so I couldn't get away with that sort of loss of lack of detail in a um, in a prose novel but in a verse novel you can. I'm not necessarily saying that means I can be lazy by never describing anything anymore. Yeah. But it does. <laughs> a verse novel get gets to the heart of the matter, I think, and can do it well and can do it, as I say, from multiple perspectives. One of my other verse novels is called Cold Skin, and it, it explores the uh, death of a teenage girl in a small country town. And it's told from nine different narrators. So what it allows me to do is it allows me to explore this tragedy through each of those characters. And the reader is given the vantage point, if you like, of being inside everyone's head and understanding uh, how they understand or comprehend the tragedy. And when you're constructing a verse novel, how do you decide on the number of characters? Just instinctually, really, Uh, with a book like um, Zoe Max and the Bicycle Bus, I knew I wanted it to be a a group of 10 year old children. So I figured, you know, six or seven uh, voices and the teacher's voice would be sufficient. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I, I look, I don't have a set format or uh, a logical way of doing it. I just do what I think comes naturally. So I'm sorry to keep delving. <laughs> it's just fascinating. <laughs> so when you're writing it physically, are you thinking of De Beers' storyline and then Zoe's and then, or are you just, is it linear? Are you just Zoe and then you slip slip over to Max and then back to De Beer and sort of where that where the um, muse takes you? I look. I normally follow uh, the the chronology of the uh, of the plot. So I don't, for example, as you've suggested, just write Zoe's um, poems, Zoe's timeline. I write Zoe, then De Beer, then Max all together because yep. uh, yep. I'm, I'm interested in that plot in the first instance. And as I, as I said earlier, I'm interested in one scene seen through the eyes of various people yep. or one character. So when um, their teacher, new teacher arrives in the school, each of the characters gives us a little insight into what they think of that teacher. Yeah. And so in the very beginning, do you have any kind of plot map, as I call it? Like, do you know the points that you want to go to or does it just flow from that very first sentence that you write? I really like to focus on location and characters. They're paramount in my story. The theme and the plot tends to follow. Yeah. I'm a real... I'm, even though I'm quite a disorganised writer in that I never have a timeline on a storyboard or anything like that, yep. uh, I, I, ha I do have an idea in my head where I want the story to end, yep. um, but I, I don't map it out in that way. I'm, I really, it's, it's almost like I'm getting to know the characters as the reader is getting to know the characters. Sure. And I really, do, and I don't want to rush to the end of the story. I like to spend time with my characters in the hope that the reader will enjoy spending time with them. So oh, it's a really kind of, um, I don't know what the word is. It's a lugubrious sort of, I think they use that. <laughs> I use that that word in the book, actually. It's, it's a lugubrious sort of um, way of writing in that I, I don't really care where I go. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, in, in terms of as long as I've got the characters being believable and fleshed out and saying things that are interesting. Yeah. So I guess in that fleshing out, when it comes to the editing, um, does your editor scrutinise each character and say, oh, you've forgotten De Beer a bit or you've, you've done an awful lot of, you know, Miss Dillon here? Should we pull back on that? Or <laughs> Yes, or you've, you've got Miss Dillon to say or do something she shouldn't really do, so get that out of there. Yeah, I love yeah. my editors. I've, I've been with my editors for a long time and I, they're, they're much wiser than I am, so yep. I do as they say. But yep. I always, and, and the important thing is in a verse novel is that we are editing for voice of each character. Because you've got so many characters, it's important each of them have a distinctive voice. And yep. that second edit is vital to get it right, to get yep. each character sounding different, sounding original. Of course, yeah. Now, Stephen, I think I've read on your, your website, obviously, that you go into schools um, what are some of the funniest things kids have said to you or perhaps asked during one of those visits? Mm. Kids are always trying to outdo each other, thankfully, with smart questions. Um, yep. Look, a, a lot of them ask me the obvious one, which is how much do you get paid? 
Yep. And I tell them the truth. I think it's wise to be honest. Look, probably the funniest one I've ever uh, heard was from a boy in a high school in Western New South Wales, and the principal was in the room, uh, all the teachers, the whole school was in, in the uh, audience, and he put up his hand, and oh, I should tell you that I'm bald, I don't have any hair, <laughs> yes. and um, so because that links to what he said, and he put up his hand and he said, why is your head shinier than my future? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Which I thought was just genius. And oh. I, uh, everyone laughed, of course. And I looked at the principal and suggested that this boy should be the next school captain. Yes. And perhaps he <laughs> does have a shiny future after all. <laughs> Maybe he does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, in, in just in that theme, I always ask this question of, uh, you know, very, um, advanced authors who have been you know at this business for a while has there been a time in your career where you've had an, a complete aha moment perhaps when a reader has connected with something you've written and it's impacted both of your lives um look i'm so i'm so old now uh, and i go <laughs> i'm still going to so many schools that I get lots of teachers coming up to me at the end of the show and telling me they saw me when they were 10 years old. Oh, wow. At a school, which is really scary and lovely <laughs> at the same time. Uh, and in fact, one relatively well-known author, I won't mention their name, um, gives me some credit for her deciding to be an author, only some yes. credit, mind you, uh, because I turned up to her school in the back blocks of the country and seemed like a normal person who was an author. And yep. she thought that would be a good job to follow. Uh, so that happens a lot, sadly, or happily, yeah. I'm not sure which. Uh, I get a lot, like all authors, I get a lot of emails from kids who say, you know, that they can relate to particular characters or what a particular character does. Yeah. And that's always the nicest feedback. Um, oh, of course. That yep. an author can receive. You've done your job, in other words, yep. That's right, yep, absolutely. So we're living in a pretty uncertain time. Is there a middle grade book on your shelf which perhaps may not have had the launch or fanfare it deserved? Um, and, in fact, when I say that, you can actually do an old one if you like, but anything new in your, in your realm that you really think needs a bit of love? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, uh, you caught me on the hop here. Um, I, I haven't been reading any middle grade stuff lately, uh, not for a, a long time, um, yep. but I've got a good excuse for that. I've been reading my own son's latest book. Um, so it is the greatest joy I think a writer can have that one of their children follows in their footsteps and becomes an author oh, so yes. I'm not trying to plug my son's book plug away was... <laughs> <laughs> well look it's probably fair to do because a few weeks ago it won the Queensland Premier's Literary Award oh, uh, for the book of state significance so that was probably the proudest moment in my life as a writer and as a father, yep. uh, I, I guess, apart from just having the children in the first place. Uh, so I, I always read, he's, my son's name's Joe, uh, I always read Joe's manuscript, obviously, before it comes out. Yep. Um, 
And it's been a lovely symmetry in, in a way in that he used to read or he still does read all my manuscripts before they're published and gives me feedback. And for oh, both of his books, I've been able to do the same back to him. Uh, so uh, that's what I've been reading lately and so, you know, going back again and again. What is Joe's book? Oh, uh, so he goes, he writes under my wife, his mum's name. His name's Joe Gorman. And the book is called Heartland, How oh, Rugby yes. League Explains Queensland. Oh, yes. So yes. it's a sociological look at the weird state where I come from of Queensland yes. and how rugby league seems to explain it. I um, am also from Queensland, even though no, I live in Melbourne. So I totally get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one for you then, okay? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to worry too much about the sport aspect. It is about Queensland as well. Oh, lovely, because I am not a sport fan. So <laughs> no, no, no. we will put it on our to be read. So now that we're talking about other books, what is next in the wings for Stephen Herrick? Uh, I'm in the editing stage of a YA novel, not a verse novel, a fiction novel called How to Repaint a Life about wow. a, uh, a boy who leaves or runs away from a violent father and meets a uh, girl in a country town. And it's really about her relationship with her parents. Uh, parents often get kind of pushed to the periphery in mm. YA books, understandably so. Yes. Uh, and in yes. this book, the parents are front and centre. And uh, it's about the girl Sophie's relationship with her mum and dad, which is a good one. And yep. it's a, yep. I hope it's going to be celebratory rather than angst ridden. Good. Because I think we need that in this time, don't we? I think we do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Oh, that sounds lovely. Also with UQP, I assume. Yes, yes. I've yep. been with them now for 25 years, I think. Wonderful. I think I might be one of their uh, longest running authors. Oh, fantastic. Uh, which is, you know, great. They're, they're, they're a wonderful publisher. They yeah. certainly punch above their weight. That's, that's for sure. Yeah, we've certainly had some beautiful books from them. Yeah, yeah, they're great. So what a joy it has been to have you on Middle Grade Maven, Stephen. Where can we find you online if our listeners are interested in checking out your books? Uh, yeah, so my website is Stephen with a V, stephenherrick.com.au. And there's an email address there and videos of me reading poems in schools and lots of other stuff. Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Stephen. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for stopping by Middle Grade Mavens. If you'd like to know more about the Mavens, log on to middlegradepodcast.com or to find Julie online, drop by julieandgrassobooks.com and to find Pamela, stop by www.ueckerman.net.